Today we're looking at the most famous of all Christmas songs called Mary's Song, or it's also known as Mary's Magnificat. Yeah, today we want to cover what I'm calling kingdom lyrics. Two main points we want to make about kingdom lyrics. Number one is the why of this song. And the second main point is the who of this song. Let me start with a quick story. Just this last week, as I was going for my weekly long run, I was running along the Embarcadero, uh, right by the bay here in San Francisco, and there's several uh, restaurants, great restaurants, great smelling restaurants, along that nice run there. Great views, great smells. And all of this is happening last week, just before all restaurants had to close here in San Francisco due to COVID restrictions. Well, as I'm running by this one restaurant, I couldn't help but hear one of my favorite songs being played really, really loudly over the speakers. And the song is Joy to the World. And as I was running by this restaurant, I really started thinking, wow, are people really listening to the lyrics of this song? I mean, are they just going along with the Christmas spirit, you know, just having their mimosas and having a, a, a wonderful, you know, Sunday morning brunch, but have, you know, perhaps no awareness at all to the lyrics. It's Christmas, so let's just go along with whatever they're playing for us to listen to. I couldn't help but uh, make eye contact with someone just for a few seconds as I'm running by. And I have my mask on and they have their... Um, mask on as they're waiting for their food to arrive to their table and we, we lock eyes for just a moment and I could tell that their their eyes were kind of squinting as though there were these laughing or, or smiling eyes behind uh, or underneath that mask as if they knew what these lyrics were all about. Well, and I ask you today, are you listening to the lyrics of this song, of Mary's song. Are you listening to these lyrics today? I mean, even as I was running along there, joy to the world, listen to some of those lyrics. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The Savior reigns. Let every heart prepare Him room. Let heaven and nature sing. This is a little outrageous, don't you think? I wonder how many people sitting at that restaurant, really even heard those lyrics or really have given it much thought what those lyrics mean. Well, this week also I was reading a quote out of a book called Moral Politics, written by George Lakoff. And George Lakoff in Moral Politics does not agree with Mary's Magnificat, does not agree with why we would sing these Christmas songs. In his book, Moral Politics, he says, Christianity works by a moral accounting system. Immoral deeds are debits. Moral deeds are credits. If you have a big enough positive balance of moral credit when you die, you go to heaven. And if you have a negative balance, you go to hell. These general notions are shared by most forms of Christianity, he says. Well, first of all, that's not true. The Bible doesn't believe what George Lakoff says there. The gospel of Jesus Christ 
does not agree with him, and nor does the Song of Mary. The Song of Mary does not say, I need to earn some morality points. The the Magnificat does not say, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord, and oh, I need to go and uh, get some moral credit points. Mary's Magnificat, the Magnificat is, uh, that word is Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. Are you listening? That's my question today. Are you listening to these lyrics? Let's get to this first main point, the why of this song. Now this is, this is not a random and spontaneous eruption into a song. You know, you may know some people that do that, maybe in the shower or a friend that you have, or I'm remembering in high school, I used to have a coach that would uh, annoyingly do this, just erupt into song. It was always so random, and Mary's not doing that. Why is she singing? Why does Mary sing? And I ask, why do you sing? We all sing. We all have some narrative or some story, uh, every person, every culture, We all give allegiance to some king and some kingdom. Uh, For example, Karl Marx in Hating Christianity uh, used to say that Christianity and religion is the opium of the people. You know, pie in the sky, great is your reward in heaven, cynically making fun of Christianity. Now the Bible Uh, disagrees with Karl Marx, says that Karl Marx is wrong, and Mary's lyrics say that Karl Marx is wrong. And so the lyrics are here because worship is happening. Worship and rejoicing in a God, a real God, a live God. See, for Mary, it's personal. I want you to look at our passage here today, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. That's where this classic song is found, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And thank you to our Advent Scripture readers, Crystal and Ervant, uh, and others who have been participating in our Advent Scripture readings, as well as liturgical prayers Uh, But in that reading, I believe it was Crystal who read that passage for us, you can use the QR code that's here above us, and you can just scroll on your phone back up to that passage with me. And I want you to look at verses 46 and verse 47. Mary says, My soul, see it's personal for Mary, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My soul. Savior. See, do you, I want to ask you, do you consciously think about what larger story your story fits into? Which kingdom do you give allegiance to? Christmas, this time of Advent and Christmas means that you look at this baby in a manger and you say, nothing less than this kind of miracle could bring redemption to my life. It's the incarnation. It's Jesus, God, who becomes a human being, taking on flesh to take my sin upon himself to give me peace with God. 
Nothing less than that. No miracle less than that. That's why Mary is singing. Verse 48 says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. See, the humble estate means that Mary, Mary knew of her poverty. Mary was poor. She, she's a nobody from nowheresville. And this connects to Jesus' sermon on the mount there in Matthew chapter 5 where he's talking about the poor in the spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not the middle class in spirit. Not the rich in spirit. Not those who depend on themselves. But blessed are the poor in spirit. That's why Mary is singing. She knows of her need. She knows of humanity's needs for this Savior. She was powerless. See, there was daily oppression for Mary and others who lived under the petty and powerful tyrant Herod the Great. If a person was unwilling or unable to pay their taxes, well, Herod the Great and Herod's soldiers would not flinch at taking a donkey for payment. Or to go even further, if the debt was a little more, or if they wanted to have a little bit more injustice going on with that person, they would take their daughter away from them and perhaps rape her. Yet Mary had not been taken. Mary, even though she was poor and powerless, she had not been taken. She had not been raped. Praise the Lord. Mary's Magnificat is a song that comes from the bottom of society and it cries out. Mary's Magnificat is a song of justice. It's singing, justice has finally come. Justice is on the way. God has not forgotten me. God has not forgotten his promises. So Mary's song is a protest song against the injustice. It's a song about the great liberation that God promised to Abraham that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Why does Mary sing it? Well, she's she's overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed and she overflows with joy as she sits in this poverty and sits in this powerlessness. Mary's Christmas was about a God who's alive and a God who's at work and a God who sides with justice and peace for all, not just for the wealthy, not just for the powerful, not just for the influential. That's why Mary is singing this song. See, this song, another reason why she's singing it is that it's revealing Mary's character. She's bold. She's gutsy. She's tenacious. She's not the soft Mary that maybe we've been used to hearing about or maybe that we've never really heard about. When you think about Mary in, in, in the manger scene that you may be used to seeing. Gentle little Mary, the mother of Jesus. No, no, this Mary is tenacious. This Mary is bold. And she will need to be courageous. When her son is eight days old, Jesus will be presented and circumcised and Simeon will say of this child this child will cause the falling and rising of many 
and a sword will pierce your soul. Referring to Mary's future sorrow at Jesus' future death. Mary will need to be courageous when her son is 12 years old because she's going to lose him in the temple. And then Mary's going to need to be courageous when her son is 30 and she will think he's gone crazy as he begins to speak of his upcoming death. Uh, And then when her son is, you know, three years later, when her son is going to die, a criminal's death on the cross, yet joy. Joy would flood her heart at the resurrection. This is why Mary sings this song. This is the why behind the songs of Christmas. And the application here is remember why you're worshiping. I mean, how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as lowly as Mary did? And unless you see yourself in this way, you won't see your need for Mary's son that she's singing about. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Only sick people do. I have come to call those, uh, not those who think they are righteous, but I've come to call those who know that they are sinners. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, Mary worships in the midst of an uncertain future. Listen to the difference in these two types of attitudes, where you may say, Oh, I will worship God if and when things are going great. Versus, Because God is great, I will worship God right in the middle of it, even when things aren't going great. See, Mary teaches us that worship shapes my situation. It's the lyrics and the the worship that's going to shape my situation. That's why Mary worships. Our second main point here today is the who, the who of this song. Mary's lyrics is that the gospel is real and that there really is good news. There was already a gospel in that day, there in first century, and a gospel just simply means good news that is circulating. And it was in the palace of Rome where Caesar Augustus declared himself the son of God. That's the good news that was circulating there in the first century. Uh, Caesar Augustus, uh, having declared Julius as divinity, his father by adoption, that he was hailed as the one who would bring peace to the world, the savior of the world. That's the good news. That's the gospel that was circulating there in that first century audience. And so Mary's lyrics is a shout of victory about a different good news, about a different king, a different leader, a different Lord. And so weeks before her son is born, Mary uh, sings this song. Years before this son of hers is going to die on a cross and is going to rise from the dead, she's proclaiming God's saving purposes for all of creation and for you who believe. 
Now, the interesting characteristic of Mary's song here is that every line of it has an Old Testament reference. Yeah, who? Who is Mary singing about? The who of the song is that every line of this, every lyric uh, here in Mary's Magnificat is that there's an Old Testament reference to it. Mary's not just making up things on her own, this isolated experience or how she feels. Luke presents Mary as a woman totally immersed in the sacred scriptures and aware of her place in the divine plan. See, there's no less than 12 Old Testament passages that are woven together here in the midst of the Magnificat. This is not chestnuts roasting on an open fire or Jack Frost nipping. This is not, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. Look at verse 46 and 47. When Mary begins to worship, she remembers Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you, O Lord. There is no rock like our God. Do you see what Mary is doing in her song? She's focusing on the character of God. That God is holy. That He, this holy God, must come and do something to resolve our situation, our lowly estate. That we are truly separated from this holy God by our sin. That God is holy. I am not. And that He has come for those who know their need for Him. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are humble who need the great physician for their souls. Verse 49, when Mary begins to worship, she remembers Psalm chapter 71. Psalm 71, verse 19 says, Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, God? Mary, once again, focuses on the character of God. This time, that God is mighty, that God can bring it about. His might has been displayed. She's able to say, yes, I believe this. And I hold on to this truth that God is going to do something mighty. He can pull this off. No other God can pull this off. Verse 53 here in Mary's Magnificat. When Mary begins to worship, she remembers Psalm 107. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Verse 55 of Mary's Magnificat. Mary remembers God's promise to Abraham. From Genesis chapter 17 verses 6 and 7. Where he says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God 
and the God of your descendants after you. Mary, once again, is focusing on the character of God, that God is merciful. Salvation will not be left up to us to figure it out on our own. And see, whenever you begin to see God's character in these lyrics, when you begin to see that, you'll never sing a Christmas song the same way again. Your life has changed. The way you sing those Christmas songs is changed forever when you see the character of God. Let's, t- let's discuss a few life applications during the season of Advent and Christmas. We do this each week. And Mary's challenge here, first of all, Mary's challenge to non-believers. Mary's challenge to non-believers. If you're listening to this song of Mary, and if you're listening to this Christmas story that we're reflecting upon here in the season of Advent and Christmas, and you just think, I just, I don't know, I, I just... I'm not really certain. Mary's challenge to you is to investigate. Investigate the claims of Christianity. As you search, are you you really hearing this radical song that Mary is singing? I mean, again, the context of Mary, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 We didn't read this part, but I invite you to go back and read it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Mary was greatly troubled at Gabriel, the angel Gabriel's message. See, the angel Gabriel is bringing a message to Mary about the incarnation that was going to take place. It's something wild, something revolutionary, something almost... Other, in fact, otherworldly that God would enter into our world, would become a human being, and would be born through Mary. Mary listens to that angel tell about those things that are going to take place. C.S. Lewis, uh, again, writes into this, and C.S. Lewis says, hey, the reason why I believed in Christ of the Bible the, way, the reason why I believe in Christianity is because no one is brilliant enough and no one is crazy enough to have thought this kind of story up. You can't just make this kind of a story up. So Mary's challenge to you, if you're a non-Christian, is to go investigate. To go investigate. Do the investigation. What's going on with all the fuss? Why is the singing happening? Why the lyrics written so intentionally throughout these Christmas songs? Why are people still talking about this story? Why are people singing these lyrics? Why would followers in the first century lay down their lives to help others who were suffering? And why would they give up their rights, not demand their rights, in order to follow Jesus? So do the investigation is the challenge. Mary gives a challenge to you if you're a believer and a follower. The first challenge, well, actually there are two challenges for you. The first challenge is live these lyrics. 
live these lyrics with expectation, not cynicism. Are you really listening to this song? Or are you jaded? Or are you tired and jaded already in the Advent and Christmas season as a believer? Do you think, oh, I've just been listening to these songs, I know them all by heart, and I'm just bored already? Are you really listening? Have you taken the time to slow it down and to go back and, and just sit and reflect on the scriptures found within these lyrics of Mary's Magnificat? And do you live in expectation of God coming again, God coming down again to this earth through the person of Jesus? That Jesus has not abandoned us, that Jesus aims to return to this earth and redeem all things. Do you live with that expectation? The second challenge for you is to listen to God singing and rejoicing over you. Yeah, God sings over you. God rejoices over you. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let's enter into a prayer right now together as we try to absorb these lyrics, as we try to live these lyrics as a response to this dramatic and wonderful story of grace. We're going to say a prayer together. It is a congregational prayer. We're taking it here from Matthew chapter 6. It's known as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaching all of his disciples to pray this prayer. So I invite you, wherever you are, to pray this prayer out loud. Uh, It's printed there for you in your worship liturgy. Let's pray this prayer aloud together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.